We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 12. Please rise for the reading of God's word. of captives he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions the earth he who descended is the one who is also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things and he gave us the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of christ amen may we be blessed by the reading of god's word you may be seated this morning. We're in a series that we've been in for a while. Uh, we're about at the halfway point in the series. And so, uh, if you've been with us, the, the series is called Ecclesia, which just means the gathering or the called out ones that God, for the uh, beginning of time, had a plan and a purpose. And it was to gather people to himself that would be called the church, the Ecclesia. And all it means is that God uniquely called people to himself. All of us are here because of God's call on our life. God pulling us from darkness into life and establishing us as the church. And the first three books, or the first three chapters of Ephesians are, are what the theologians call the doxology of the church. What does the church believe in? And so we've looked at that. The first three chapters are all the evidence that Christ died to redeem his people. In chapter 1, verses uh, verse 3 and following, is the longest sentence in the Bible, but it's, in my opinion, in the scholar's opinion, probably the, the richest verse, or the, not verse, but sentence in all the Bible. Because it walks through step by step of sinners being redeemed, by the grace of God, being called out by God, that we did nothing to be called out by God, but God saw fit to call us out. And that's really the first three chapters of Ephesians. So it's what, we, what do we believe, the church, do we believe about Jesus? Because if we, don't, if we in this room are all on the same page of what our doxology is, then it doesn't matter. If we don't all are on the same page of our orthodoxy, what we really believe to be true about the gospel, what we really believe to be true about Good Friday and Easter, then the rest isn't going to matter. So Paul in this book is laying the foundation of what the church is to believe. And the sad part is that for so long, the church has gotten these first three chapters wrong. Right? Because we see how the first three chapters, if we don't get these, then what, what the theologians call our orthopraxy will be way off. The orthopraxy is this, what do we believe and what do we do with what we believe? And that's what Paul is now getting into in chapter 4, 5, and 6. He's saying, you, this is what you have to believe in, and this is how you have to practice what you believe in. And so Paul talks about it first. And I, I think it's of utmost importance. 
what Paul does here in chapter 4. Before he says to us how we are to practice, he calls us to something. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and then he's going to tell us what, how that is put into place in this passage, and then what that means for us next week. And he talks about this first. He says, coming right out of your orthodoxy, what you believe to be true, has to be this, one word, unity. See, even if you have all of your orthodoxy right, but you don't have your orthopraxy right in unity, then nothing else matters. Have we not seen that in the church? Have we not seen that in this church? Like I would say we have our orthodoxy right, but man, our orthopraxy is off. Because it starts with our unity is off. And I'm calling us through this series, through these two messages last week and this week, to, for you, not just for me, but us individually to get in our hearts. Are we in unity with everyone in this body? Because if not, the rest of this chap these two chapters will not matter. And so are we in unity with one another? And now Paul says this. He says, when you get into unity with one another, it starts with unity, but now he uses this one word. In verse 7, but, circle that in your Bible. So he's been talking about unity the first six verses. You've got to be unified. You have to be one. And our oneness comes in. There's one baptism. There's one hope. There's one faith. There's one Lord. There's one Christ. There's one resurrection. That our unity must be centered around that. But then he uses this one word, but. Why would he use that word, but? Because he's going to go into unity happens through diversity. Right, he's saying you have to be one, but in being one, we're also individuals. And my fear for us, church, is this. We're individuals first before we're unified. That's not how Paul wrote this letter. He talked about unity first, and then he goes into individuality. But so often I believe we, gotta start, we think we need to start with individuality. Is that not what the world teaches us? Turn on the news. The, the world's thing right now is, man, be yourself, be all that you are at any cost. Is that not true? I mean, I mean we're letting little kids decide what gender they are. That's off. Oh, well, it, it's their own person. We're, we're letting little kids decide their sexuality. That's off. Because they, they don't have a, un, there's no unity based out of their orthodoxy. And so we all are just our own persons. Now God does say to us, we are our own persons. But that's not where it starts. It starts with what do we believe to be true about God? What do we believe to be about, uh, true about the church? And then how do we fit into those two things? Not how do those two, fit, two things fit into us. The church is not here for you. You are here for the church. Let me say that again, because no one said amen. The church is not here for you. You are here for the church. Like, the, the sole goal isn't for you to come in and it be about you. 
The sole goal for you to come in is to glorify God. So the church isn't about you, it's about him. And we need to be a unity and be one as we glorify him. That will cost us some things. But he does say this, Paul says, but grace was given to what? Each one. So what Paul says, but on the other hand, like I know I've been talking about unity, but on the other hand, let me talk to you individually, is what Paul is saying in this chapter. In these verses. You see the great thing about it is this. The church isn't an assembly line. That replicates Nissan. See at Nissan. If you go to the Nissan plant. Do you not want every car to come off the assembly line. The exact same. If you. I mean everyone's like no. I kind of Like if you put on that car. If the car is supposed to be X car. You don't want it coming off looking like a motorcycle. Do you? And so often we think that's how the church is, that we all have to be exactly the same. No, we're individuals that God has created, but as individuals, there is a unit that we're coming from, and God has given us grace as individuals. You see, that, that's the part of the word individuals that we've got to capture. It's the grace piece. But grace, and I could do a whole sermon just on that one word, grace. Grace is getting all that God has given to us, what we do not deserve. You see, the cross is grace. And so God has, he says it this way, but grace has been given, each, been given to each one of you, to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So what Christ did, he poured out his grace on us as individuals and pouring out his grace on us he gave us all gifts and we're going to look at at the very end what did god give all of us in this building gifts for you see i think so often we look at gifts like this anyone ever i, I love it I, I we got anyone got the gift at their wedding that you regave that gift to someone else at their wedding Anyone did that? Like you, you open it and you're like you're sitting there and it's like, wow. And in turn, you're thinking, oh, man, who's the next wedding I can give this to? Ours, mine and Jenny's was a uh, it was a, a devil egg platter, a crystal devil egg platter. Now, it was pretty and all, but Jenny and I were like, we're not using that. And so we gifted him to the very next wedding. And I think they have that gift has still never been unwrapped. And I think so often we do that with God's gift that he's given to us. And we have never explored the gifts that God has given to every single one of us. Either we're hoping for a different gift and we didn't get it, or, or we've just neglected the gift that God gave to us. But God has given and gifted all of us uniquely for one reason and one reason only. It's for his glory. It's grace that God has bestowed his gifts on to you. There's a story that C.S. Lewis tells about this. And my fear is this, church. This is how we look at the gifts that God has bestowed onto us. He talks about being in a, in a tool shed. And, and talks about when he's in this tool shed, he sees this beam of light coming out uh, from a crack in, in, the, in the roof of the tool shed. And as he begins to look at the, at the beam of light, he sees things that the, 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 the light reveals. 
Anyone ever been into a dusty old shed? And you see that crack and that light comes through and you see all the particles in that beam of light and you kind of see where the light shines on. But, it, but, but all, all that you see is that one light. Everything else around it is darkness, is it not? And I, my fear for us is that we do that. We look at the beam of light and see the little that it reveals, the specks throughout the sun rays. But then C.S. Lewis talks about he took one step and looked into the light and everything changed. Does it not? If, if you're in a dark shed, it, it's pitch black except for that one light. But if you take one step and peer into the light, you see things that you could never see without looking into the light. And my fear for us, church, we do that with our gifts. We, we set the gift down and we peer at it rather than be in the gift. You all have gifts. My great fear for us is they're sitting on a table unopened and unused, and you're hoping something will happen with the gift. And Paul says, no, no. It's by grace that God has bestowed on you the measure to which he wants to give you the gift. Like you have what you have because of God's grace, and the amount of the gift that you have is because of God's grace, and he's the one that measures it out. Anyone ever tried that with a recipe? Like the cooks in the room, and there are some great ones. Like if I decided I'm going to cook something and I wanted to be the one to measure out the ingredients, like, oh man, it needs two cups of sugar rather than a cup of sugar. It's not going to work out well, is it? Oh, it would be sweet. You're going to get some like headaches. Oh, what if I put too much flour, too much this? Like, the, the person that wrote the recipe had a reason for writing the recipe. They wanted to write the recipe, and it comes out to perfection. You, you see, when you and I are cooking, it's never going to be the recipe's fault. It's never going to be the origin of the recipe. The same is true with God. He has measured out the amounts of gifts that he wants to give to you. You have today exactly what you need given to you by God. You don't need any more. You don't need any less. And yet so many of us are him hawing around. I just wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I could teach. I wish I could do this. I wish I could serve. I wish I was this. Well, you have exactly what God's given to you, the measure that he gave to you for the purpose that he intended you to have it. And then Paul says it this way. So Christ is the giver of the gifts. Well, how did Christ get the ability to give us the gifts? This is important. because That's what Paul goes into. It seems like Paul goes a little psycho. Like, man, where did he get this from? He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says this. He, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and was and he gave gifts to men. That comes out of Psalm 68:18. Psalm 68:18 is about this idea that God delivered his people from Egypt. So he leads the people out of captivity. And in leading the people out of captivity, he gives them gifts along the way. Uh, another way that it, this is true is it's about David. If you know anything about David, what David would do, he would march into uh, a land. He would take over 
the, the place. He would ransack the place. And then he would what? Leave the captives that were in that nation free. And when they came out of captivity and after they plundered the land, they took all those gifts that they plundered. And what did David do? He turned around and gave it to the captives. Now, the analogy is so true for us. What did Christ's ascension after the resurrection do for us? It took the captives and let us free. Is that not what we celebrated last week? And so it's Christ's ascension into heaven, and then he says it's his descension to earth that he then leads the captives free. And leading the captives free, he gives us gifts because he's conquered death, he's conquered the enemy, he's set us free, and now he's bestowing the gifts of what he's already conquered. That's what Paul is talking about. Your gifts are given to you by God because of the resurrection. Don't ever forget that. Without the resurrection, there would be no spiritual gifts. Like you're here and the gifts that you have are because Christ lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross, a criminal's death, absorbed the wrath of God for you and to me, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later rose from the dead, ascended on high, and sat with God the Father, and then descended the third day to set the captives free. And in doing that, he then said, man, there is this thing called the church that I must give gifts to to further the kingdom of God. And so he knows, Christ himself knows, that your gifts and my gifts are given to us by him. We'll see this in a moment, to further his kingdom. And so, what are the church's gifts? What did Christ give to us? Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Two things quickly about this one verse. A lot of debate, a a lot of commentaries have written about this. This is my belief about this passage. First, this is about the roles in the church. So there's a gifts, there's some, some gifts, but it's going to talk primarily first about the roles of the church. That's pastors. So in my opinion, after a lot of study, the, the, the apostles and the prophets, there's no more, there's no need for apostles and prophets after the, 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 the start of the church. You, you see, the, the apostles and the, the prophets, were, were the, the word apostle means the sent one with a messenger. The, the apostles are the original 12 uh, plus Paul. Like they had a message from God about establishing the church. And so there's no need to have apostles any longer because the church has already been established. And there's no need to have prophets because the prophets are, were the spokespersons of God. How come we don't need the prophets? We don't need prophets or apostles because we have this. But there are still gifts of the apostles and still gifts of the prophets that we must have. But the role of apostles and prophets has ceased at the start of the New Testament because of the church. And then he says this. I'll get into the the gifts. I want to talk about the roles first. You see, the apostles were to lay the foundations for the church. 
and the prophets were to receive revelation from God about the church and about establishing the church. We needed to hear from God how the church must function. That's what the prophets did for us. That's what this is all about. That's why Paul was an apostle and a prophet. But there's three things, there's three roles that have not ceased since the establishment of the church. The first one is this, the evangelist. There is the role of the evangelist in the church. The role of the evangelist is simply this. He is the one that is to proclaim the good news to lost people. And God has uniquely gifted him. If you've ever been around a true evangelist, Billy Graham, Louis Palau, those are true evangelists. Man, they say McDonald's and people fall out before the Lord. I don't know how they do it, but they have the gift of evangelism. They talk to lost people about the good news of Jesus, and people just fall before the Lord because of their proclamation of the good news. I mean, anyone ever been to a Billy Graham crusade? He's not the flash, he was not the flashiest of preachers. He, he was not the greatest of preachers. Like, if you went to and listened to a message of him, you'd be like, man, I'd give him about a C minus. But God used that godly man to redeem lost people. And so that role is still alive in the church. And we still need that role to be alive in the church. Because you see, without that role in the church, then the other two roles aren't going to matter. They'll die off. Because there's only a, so much of a lifespan that you and I have. We come new believers, and then eventually we die. There is a 100% mortality rate. All of us one day will die. And so we don't have the evangelists preaching the good news to lost people, and the lost people coming into the church, then the next two won't matter. That, that's what, what he says is this, that there's the pastors and the teachers. Man, the role of a pastor and a teacher are sweet roles. The word pastor means this, to shepherd. To shepherd God's people. How did David talk about shepherding God's people? Thy rod and thy staff. I, there's moments, I'm going to have to hit you upside the head with a billy club. I don't want to do that, but God's called me to do that. And there's other moments I'm going to have to gently guide you. You see, that's the role of a pastor, is to shepherd the people. If you've ever seen a shepherd shepherd sheep, there's times that he breaks the sheep's legs because they keep going out of the, the bounds that, God, that the, the shepherd had set for them. So he breaks their legs and then he carries them till the mending process happens. But then there's moments, if you've ever seen a, a, a shepherd with sheep, he gets down with with the flock, and he cares for them, and he takes care of them, and he nurtures them. He loves them unconditionally. And then the last one is this. The last role is this, the teachers. It's the primary function of the pastor. My primary, my primary role is to be your teacher, before anything else. It's to preach God's word to you. Because it doesn't matter what I have to say. Outside of this, what I have to say will not be life-changing or life-giving. This is the only thing that gives life and changes lives. So God has called me as your pastor 
to shepherd you and take care of you. But my primary gift that God's given to me to give to you is to preach God's word faithfully to you. And if I'm not doing that, fire me today. Do exactly what Paul said to the Bereans. Hey, judge everything that I say. Like if all you're doing is coming and listening to me and you're not going home and saying, man, is that really what God's word says? Then you're doing yourself a disservice. Like I can only put it on the table. You have to be the ones to eat it. I can't eat your food for you. I can prepare the meal. It can be a beautiful meal and I can lay it out before you and you can just come and say, man, that's beautiful. But if you don't partake of what I'm offering to you, you will be malnourished. And so me, I am not feeding you today. I'm offering you something today to go home and ponder and wrestle with and think and pray and plead with God to reveal it to you. And I want to be faithful to God's word. Those are the roles of the church. To be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now there's giftings in all those. There's gifts of the apostles. The, the, the gifts of the apostles are, are being creative and starting new things. Maybe that's how God's gifted you. I hate starting new things. I'm not, I have no gifting of an apostle. But maybe that's you. Maybe God in, in his uniqueness and his gifts to you have gi- has given you ideas to reach lost people. You see, all your gifts have been given to you by God for twofold, to know him and to make him known. Maybe you're a prophet. The gift of a a prophet is simply this, that that you can see things from God's word and declare it to other people. Maybe you do have the gift of an evangelist. And when you think about lost people, does your heart get stirred? If your heart gets stirred when you think about lost people, I'd venture to say you're an evangelist. If when you're reading God's word and everything that is coming out of God's word is for your thought to go to lost people, I'd say you're an evangelist. And the gifts of a pastor and the gifts of a teacher are this. You know, I think of our Sunday school teachers. That In some sense, you have the gift of being a pastor. I think of, uh, of Leah, and I think of Jerry, and I think of Michelle, the way they pastor our little kids. They shepherd them, do they not? And the things that Tennyson comes home and she's talking about and discussing that she learned, I'm like, man, I'm grateful to God for the Leahs and the Michelles and the Jerrys and, and the Donnas, all the ones that put their pastoring gifts on display to my daughter. Maybe that's you as well. Maybe there's something inherent in you that you want to care for people. I'd say you're a pastor, you're a shepherd. And then the role of the teacher. Do you desire God's word? And then do you desire to teach God's word? If that's you, you are a teacher. Like, Do you hunger for God's word? And then do you hunger to Give it away to other people. I'd say you're a teacher. That's our gifts, church. All of us in this place. Not all of us will have the roles of a pastor. 
the role of an evangelist, the role of a teacher. But all of us in this building, God has graciously given us gifts for one reason, and we're going to see it here in a moment. All of us in this place, if you're a believer, God has given you gifts and abilities for what reason? This is what we do. The church gives. He's given all these gifts to what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. The church is given three things. Our gifts are to do what? To equip the saints. That's you. That's me. All of us in this place are to equip one another. You see, I cannot be the sole person. I don't have all the gifts. There's certain gifts I do not have. I am not in Corinthians that talks about the gift of administration. If you wanted me to be the church secretary, we'd have huge problems because I cannot do administration at all. Somebody said amen. Like That's just not my gift. And so I need the people that God has given the gift of administration to surround me with. Hospitality. I, that's the reason God gave me Jenny. I believe this. Her, she's got a hospitable heart. I do not. And all of us in this room are uniquely gifted for what? For the equipping of the saints. All of us need each other to use all of our gifts to equip one another. What for? We're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But what's the work of the ministry? Here's how we say it here at Palace Chapel. It's to know God and to make him known. Like all of our gifts and all of our abilities that God has given us is to make sure all of us in this place know him with all of our hearts. And outside of that, once we know God with all of our hearts, it's to make him known with all of our hearts. That's the work of the ministry, plain and simple for us here at Palace Chapel. And then it says this. And so what is he equipping the saints for? What is the work of the ministry for? This is so key in our life here at Palace Chapel. Not the church, universal, but for us here. For what? The building up of the body. Catch that, church. All the gifts that God has given to us. And all the individualities that we have that make us who we are as people. We're all collectively into one church for one purpose. And that's so that we build up the body. The only way to build up the body is to use our gifts. And it doesn't say to build up our preferences. It doesn't say to build up our desires. It doesn't say to build up our want-tos. It doesn't say to build up how it's always been-tos. It says we're here that God has given us gifts and abilities to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for what the building up of the church and so if, if you're in this church and you're talking if you're not talking about building up the body then you're talking wickedness if every word that comes out of your mouth in this church about the church isn't to unify and edify the church you are in grave sin that's what this passage is saying to us we are to use our gifts to edify and encourage the body. That's what it means to build up. Are we doing that, church? Here's how we are to do that. 
if you want to make sure that every word that's flowing out of your two lips are edifying the body of Christ Jesus, the church, you are to do these four things and do them well. The first one is this. This is how you will be equipped. It first starts with this. God's word. This is, the, this is this foundation of our equipping. Everything that we need for godliness is in this Bible. And so I'd ask you first and foremost, what does your daily, daily time in God's word look like? I pray that brings conviction. Are you saturating yourself with God's word? Because if you're not, you will not have the words of encouragement to edify the body. All the words that we need for edification are found in this and this alone. That's the first one. The second one is this. This is the one that's convicting me. How's my prayer life for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? I can read my Bible all day long but if i'm not on my face before god pleading for god for you for this church for me then i i'm in grave danger prayer has to be essential in our equipping the saints for the work of the ministry the next one is this if your time in the word and your time in your knees don't lead you to one place called worship you're in grave danger like if you don't read this and you don't pray to a holy God and at the end of that, there's some kind of doxology that comes out of you because of those two things, you are missing it. And worship doesn't just have to be some songs. That's our primary way. But is your heart stirred for the things of God and that you cry out to a holy God and you give adoration to God and you give gratitude to God and you give thankfulness to God that's worship again if you don't read the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 and worship God that God and his righteousness his holiness his sovereignty chose you out of the mire and out of the pit and that doesn't stir your affections for the Lord you are in grave danger if you can't remember and have worship the God that he saved you yet when you were a sinner he saved you that doesn't make you cause you to do worship. I don't know what will. I'd go to so far to say, I don't know if you're a believer. If you don't worship God about your salvation, you're off. You're off. The same way would be true of this. Man, if something doesn't happen in my heart, every time I look at my wedding pictures, or every time I look at my two uh, children, they're, they're, the birth of their, just something doesn't resonate and something doesn't stir in my heart. Some kind of affection doesn't stir for me. Something's off with me. That I can't see those three things. Jenny walking out and that stirs my affection. Something's off. If I can't look and see the gift of God through Tennyson and Cedar, something's off. The same is true for us, the church. If I can't see this for what it is and I pray to a holy God and something doesn't happen and calls me to worship, something's off, is it not? You're not going to like the last one. But I think it's true because it comes out of God's word. The fourth thing that we must all do to be equipped is to suffer. We must suffer well. Nobody likes perfect people, do they? No one likes people that have it all together. See, our brokenness 
is what will cause unity. Our brokenness for me to be able to say, man, this is where I'm falling to pieces. And other people say, man, this is how God brought me through it, through his word, through prayer, and through worship. This is how God brought me through the suffering. We must suffer, and we must suffer well. God says that through Jesus. You will suffer for my sake. I don't believe we can be equipped if we don't endure suffering. And so, church, in closing this morning, I'd ask us this question. These three questions. Does the gifts in my life and your life point us to the giver? Like if all my gifts and all your gifts, I give you praise and adoration for your gifts, All of our gifts have been given to us by God to point us back to the one who gave us the gifts. But ask us that first. The second question would be this. Twofold. The first one is this. Do you see your pastors, your evangelists, and your teachers? There there are those in this room, myself and Frank, are your pastors. Turn with me to Hebrews 13. We have the role that God has placed on us, and you affirm that call in our lives by calling us here to be your pastors. We're not your preachers. We're not just your Sunday school teachers. We're your pastors. God's word says we're your elders. This is what he says, and the writer of Hebrews says in 13, verse 17. I'm going to ask you this. Obey your leaders, obey your pastors, and submit to them. Let me say that one more time. Obey your pastors and submit to them. Here's my call to us, Powell's Chapel. Great fear to say this. But will you let me and will you let Brother Frank lead this church? Will you let us hear from God and what God is calling us as your shepherds and your pastors and how to lead this church? And then will you obey that? And then will you submit to that? You see, I wasn't called to be your preacher, though I do that. I wasn't called to be your counselor, though I do that. I wasn't called to be your friend, though I do that. I wasn't called to come visit you at the hospital, though I do that. What God's call on my life, what God's call on Brother Frank's life is to do this, is to pastor you, to shepherd you. And God's call on your life is to obey us and submit to us as we obey and submit to God. Will you let us do that, Pastor Chapel? And as you obey and submit to us, I promise you this from my heart, and I know this from Frank, we talked long and hard and prayed a lot about it yesterday, that we will do everything in our God-given power to mit, submit ourselves and be, to, be led by the Lord and first and foremost. But my desire, Frank's desire, is to lead this church to where God has called us 
to go. Now that's going to come with a lot of heartache and a lot of submission and a lot of preferences that are going to have to die if you're going to allow myself and allow Frank to lead you to where God is calling us to do. If you do not want that, tell me, tell Frank, you do not want us to lead you, let us know that. Because if you do not want that, I say this with boldness, with confidence, and with great fear, then I need to pray if God still has me here to shepherd and lead you. Will you submit, Powell's Chapel, to what God is calling us to do? Will you submit to myself and Brother Frank as your pastors, as your elders, as your leaders? For one reason. This is the reason that we desire to lead you to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body and unity and holiness and declaration to God Almighty. Let us pray. God, I labor in pain for this church. God, I want to lead your people as you lead me. God, I, I desire that we here at Powell's Chapel be unified under the headship of Jesus Christ. You are our ultimate pastor, our ultimate shepherd. You are the good shepherd. I pray for us, myself, the pastors, the saints, that we would all do one thing. That we would obey you and we'd submit to you. God, in your goodness through Christ Jesus, you've bestowed upon us gifts. Each one of us the measure that you saw fit. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And God, as the pastor, it's the weightiest thing vocationally I do. I don't take it lightly, Lord Jesus. I know Brother Frank doesn't take this lightly. This is way more for us than a paycheck, Lord Jesus. You have entrusted us to lead your bride, and we pray desperately we do that well, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would lead us to lead your people to be unified. We'd edify and encourage one another in the life of this church, God. This church has experienced too much discouragement, too much gossip, too much heartbreak, God, 
And it has to stop, Lord Jesus. God, let us be a body that would unify and edify and encourage one another. God, let us be men and women that read your word and pray and worship you and face suffering and deal with it well. morning we'll do the benediction a little differently i won't stand up front i just want to give us time as jared plays through some music without words the altar's open may we seek god and we seek god we seek the wellness of this church If there's any bitterness in your heart or there's any ill will in your heart towards another member, I I pray that you'd confess that before the Lord today. I pray that you would then pray that God would use us to know Him and to make Him known.